We're good? Yep, we're, we're, we're live. We're live at the Jack and Rod show. Nobody will get that reference except for people that do. Okay, well, I'll take this. Okay, Oxford's 2023 word of the year. I stumped Michael on Tuesday by accident by using the term Riz. Are you familiar with this term, Belsky? Dude, he doesn't know what it is. Riz. Just chill. He might. I almost got fired for saying shiz once. No, that's not it. it. Uh, <laughs> my kids say this all the time. Riz? Uh, it's official. Oxford University Press, the world's second oldest academic press, and the publisher of the Oxford English Dictionary has Riz. Or as some, of, or at least like the rest of us over a certain age, it's trying to get some. Yeah. Riz is Gen Z slang for style, charm, or attractiveness, the ability to attract a romantic or sexual partner, um, it's like from charisma. It's a shortened form, form of charisma. So, all right. I got to be honest. It's just another way for the, this new generation to be lazy. Is that what it well, is? Well, the kid that plays the new Spider-Man, Tom Holland, yeah. gave an interview and he said about himself, um, I have no riz whatsoever. I have limited riz. I have tons of riz. He got that term from a, from a, YouTube, from a YouTube streamer. So anyway, it, it exploded when he did it because everyone loves Tom Holland on the internet. And Why now, you you whether or not you have Riz is like— You ever heard, like, an actual interview with him? Who? Tom? What are you doing? No, Chris just called. Oh, of course he did. The uh, dude is a cool dude. Yeah, he's cool. It, yeah. Every other word's Affenheimer. And- um, I don't like that this is, like, the second time in, like, five weeks that you're trying to foist new terminology into my to life. i on you. Nobody wants to know what the next generation is talking about in terms of slang. You're not cool. Stop. I don't say the term. You I ever hear me next- say it? You're trying. You're trying to make it a, a thing. I no, don't want, I'm rejecting it. It's a term in my household. I have two teenagers. You Fair. don't. Fair. But There's a new subterm. I don't say that. There's shit. a new subterm for the next generation. It's called ne- the Gen App. Have you heard that one? The Gen, the Gen Appers. No. Yeah, like Gen App, like the app. Their life is an app. Even even Nicole uh, Nicole doesn't know what a Gen Apper is. Well, you know what the runners up were. Uh, <laughs> situationship. As opposed to a relationship, like Nicole, what does that mean? You, these are all your. This is your generation. What's a situation? It's not a good relationship. But it's so still a situation. But it's a situation. Okay. It's a switchling. Uh De-influencing. Do we know what that means? Anyone? I feel like you can guess at that, right? All right. All right. Enough with all that. All right. How about this? Well, enough of that. Belsky. Yeah. Twenty twenty two. Yeah. Tough year. Yeah. Tough year for the Belskinator and all of us, let's be honest. Totally. Um, so I had Sean, uh, this guy. That guy. Go back and listen to our episode from the last oh, time we were here. September? Just to sort oh, the of one, February. Oh, oh February. Okay. Yeah. And, you sounded yep. so young and innocent and then. And dude, you fucking nailed it. You 2023 did. is a comeback year for you. Oh my gosh. Let me Thank set you. the stage. Thank you. So at the time, you said the bear case was 3,600, the base was 4,300, the bull case was 4,800. We're at 4,550 today, which, oh, by the way, happened to be your year-end price target. In your 20 years, 30 years on the street, have you ever gotten the, the year-end right? Every year. <laughs> no, for real. It's impossible. You're throwing darts, but you f***ing did it this year. You just say plus 8%. It's not so throwing this darts. Is dangerous. <laughs> Whatever it no, ends the year's the year, not over. The year's not over. Say 8%. The year's not over, but if it, yeah, if so, it ended today. Um, 2022 was humbling and we had a great opportunity to apologize to a lot of clients that we lost the money. It, it just sucks. You didn't lose the money. The market did. Well, we did because those are the choices that we made. Okay. True. And, and we have, we have that responsibility and you know, I've lost my job three times on, 
uh, in this gig. This is my 34th year. May 3rd of 1990 is the first day in, in the biz. Bet I got paid to do this job. I was doing you know side projects for people. But um, in 2004, <laughs> what I'm laughing is 2004 from the USA Today. I was I was uh, I won the award for the stock picker of the, world, the year, meaning the strategist with the closest to the market. And right. I got fired in 2005. So I, I don't need that right now in my life. But no, I mean, I think, you know, it's I've like made the this. Ma- is that like the Madden, Madden curse? curse. Yeah. It like is. You're on the cover of the, the box? You know, or the Sports Illustrated curse. Right. But, you know, listen, we said this before. Stocks are up seven out of 10 years. Bulls make you money. Bears are smart. I'd rather make people money. Um, and we've got, you know, we have a process where we say in Canada, a process, you know, to um, and how we do markets, <laughs> and I got one guy that's worked for me for 17 years. God, God bless him. And he took my models that I had before um, we started working together at Merrill in 2006 and supercharged them. And we've had a, a remarkable consistency in terms of how we've called markets, and in in terms of being as tight as we are going to be this year again. And so we're very blessed and fortunate. I remember I was at uh, the only time I've ever gotten call from a CEO. Aside from Stan O'Neill not wanting to talk to me because I was bearish financials in 2008, um, is Bill Down, who was the former CEO of BMO, my very first year at BMO, 2012, and I nailed the tar- my very first year out of the and I nailed the target. I'm I'm flying to Cancun with my family. Calls me on my personal cell phone and congratulates me. And everyone was bearish in 2012. Oh, of course they were. Everyone. Everyone. Double dip. It was the obvious thing to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, sentiment plays a big part in it. But remember last time you asked me, the very first time I was on the show, you said, what's the best book, best financial book they ever read? And I said, The Art of Contrary Thinking by Humphrey B. Neal. And you don't want to be different than everybody else just to be a dick or be cocky or say, hey, you guys are nuts. If you have the contrarian viewpoint that in, in the analysis that backs it up, be contrarian. And so I don't, and nobody reads my stuff, but on page we two, do. we do. <laughs> in my prologue, it was kind of classic Belsky because I went after the bears a little bit. I went after yeah. the bears a little bit, but I was respectful and I call them the Yabbit bears. Love it. And, and you know, this is a really tough gig. But like, the, like yes, the market went up, but it's only no, because the, yeah, the yeah, but is the wall of worry. Yeah, but yeah, but we're gonna have a recession this right, year. Right. Yeah, but inflation yeah, but it's makes only stocks seven stocks. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, right, yeah, 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 right. right. It's only yeah, seven right. stocks. No participation. Markets can't go can't go up. Blah blah blah. But I'm gonna be right this year. It's right. not. I was wrong. It's not. I was wrong, and I'm sorry that I was wrong. Some sometimes though, not just not most of the time. Well, of the if you take a look at the bears on Wall Street right now, and have they come out and said I'm sorry? I'm sorry, I got it wrong. No, they no, do just a mid year. They do wait. a mid year up. The, Instead of saying you're sorry, you get to come out in June and look back at what you said in December and raise your target. No, you said, yeah, but what, they don't do that, though. They, they don't what do I that. said is still true. That's what they say. What I said is still true. Exactly. It's just, the price changed, but what I said is still didn't, true. The, market the, market, the market's, the market's wrong. wrong. Yeah, anytime you say the market's wrong in this business, look out, sister. Yeah. Run, for the, yeah. run for the door. You're all idiots. I, I'm right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there was a lot of that going on. If you remember, Josh, back in 08, oh, my gosh. Yeah, You're, the market's got it. Market's got it wrong. You guys, this is this is stupidity. Uh, and guess what? The market was right. Was the market wrong in 2022? No, no, because and I got market a lot of, was right. It discounted an earnings uh, recession early. So, right, one, one of the points. So I'm on. I'm on the channel. We know what it is. And I said, 
And I'm only on Twitter, by the way, just to see what people say about me because I can't say anything because I'm a registered Yeah, that's, he- that's healthy. Isn't that great? What are they saying about you? Well, so I said <laughs> stocks lead earnings, which lead the economy. Stocks lead earnings, which lead the economy. We seem to have forgot yeah. that, that- The this, order of things? Yeah, that stocks are an efficient discounter of what's coming. Yes. They right? did that last year and this year. Yes. Thank you. Um, it's a golf clap. He's back. What show is this, John? Oh, shit. Give me my music. Make it louder. Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by Josh Brown, Michael Batnick, and their castmates are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Red Holtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. For decades, Dimensional has helped move the investment industry toward more transparent, data-driven solutions for investors. Their founders contributed to the invention of index funds, and the firm broke new ground in offering small-cap investing as a diversifier, pioneering factor investing. More recently, they've had success with their ETFs. Since launching in 2020, they've been the fastest growing ETF issuer. They now offer 38 ETFs spanning global equity, global fixed income, and global real estate markets. That's right, Michael. Dimensional builds portfolios that emphasize dimensions of the market that research shows have higher expected returns. Their low-cost diversified investment solutions are in many ways similar to index funds, but go a step further in that they take a more systematic approach to pursuing higher expected returns. So they're not active in the traditional sense, but they're not quite passive either. That's right, Josh. Their long-term track record shows the value their approach has delivered over indexing. Over the past 20 years, 70% of their funds have outperformed their respective prospectus benchmark compared to just 16% of the industry. To learn more about the dimensional difference, visit visit dimensional.com. Yo, shout out to all you Belsky haters out there. (laughs) Keep saying that shit on Twitter. He loves it. It fuels him. He this It fuels my hate fire. He's Canadian, but he's not gonna be nice about it today. You know what I'm saying? If you hate Belsky this year, wait till wait till 2024. More reasons for hate. Nobody hates Belsky. No, just kidding. I don't really think you have that many haters. I mean, you used to, but now they all uh, deliver for Amazon, right? So, all right. Listen, I I read your stuff. Maybe. I don't always agree with everything you say, no, but know. like honestly, you make people money. I mean, that's not every year, not every quarter, but you give people a framework, and more often than not, directionally, markets go higher, and you give people reason for why they should go higher. Here's one of the things you said to me last time you came on that I loved, and it stuck with me. You said, all right, enough already. I'm going to start rapping if you don't turn that shit down. Uh, I'm going to start telling you how my money don't jiggle jiggle. You said, guys, we're too hard on ourselves. We've been through a lot. You said this, right? You were explaining like, because I was like, well, this and that and this other thing could go wrong. And you just said, we deserve a break. Like, the things should work out okay. Now, it so happens that that was true. It didn't have to be true. It's still a, a profound point. We shouldn't always be looking for why things are about to go wrong. They will from time to time, but that shouldn't be like the quest. I feel in the social media age, investors are very often searching for the next thing that's going to go wrong. And it's almost like what they set out to do that day. 
even if they're not shorting the market, even if they're long, they're still like, well, where's the danger? And it's it's natural, it's healthy to be skeptical of, of bull markets, but maybe that's overly so. What do you think? Yes, I think the the best way to put it is we're so afraid to be wrong, we don't want to be right. And I think it's a secular problem since the tech wreck that was accentuated during the credit crisis, which since the credit crisis, um, things have not been normal. So then, what, 06, 07? Since the Fed opened the window of August of 07, shit has not been real. Meaning you can't have zero to 3% interest rates or zero to 2% interest rates. You just can't. That's not sustainable. And it's going to take a while to unwind from that. Okay. And we have now reared an entire generation of investors that only think that stocks go up if interest rates go down. It's not true. In fact, in our report, we talk about how there's actually not a great correlation between interest rates and stock market performance. There isn't. So we may think that. We have become so macro-dominated in our thinking. Remember, stocks lead earnings, which lead the economy. I heard some person that we sometimes sit next to on the channel, the four-letter channel, that said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy once I know there's a recession. Good luck with that. Yeah. You like know? Once, once they hand you the document yeah. affirming that right. we're in recession. Right. right. It's kind of like, you know, do you run your do you run your life like a spreadsheet? And some of you probably don't know in the audience what double underline or lotus one, two, three, and all that kind of shit happens in accounting. Then I'll buy something when it all adds up. That's not investing and that's not life. No, you have to buy some vert you have to buy some degree of uncertainty. Sometimes it feels that there's more uncertainty than at other times, mm-hmm. but there's always the same amount of uncertainty. Right. I really don't know. So my very first mentor uh, on Wall Street was William O'Neill. And he said, Brian, don't let anybody ever tell you that there's nothing going on in the market because there's always something going on. And we're always going to be complaining. And this was 1990. I mean, you go back to 1990, Mm. look what happened in the market there. There's always something going on. We're always complaining. You know, so we just have to deal with it. Now, given the age of what you, how you started this diatribe with respect to social media and no one doing the work and bullet point analysis and so afraid to be wrong and they don't want to be right. Fear sells, right? Fear is sexy. Fear is, uh, the bears are seductive. I, cl- I click on fear. Fear has riz. Fear has fear major has riz. riz. Major fear riz. has total riz. Brian, hey, look, we Brian, just named the episode. Brian, Say we're done with the, that part. The market is more likely to be up 20% in a given year than it is to be negative. Yes, more likely to be up 20% than down. And so the the thing that we should be searching for that we never do because it's hard is what can go right? Well, A- you, AI. AI. Uh, is that rhetorical? What oh, if, what loss. if, what if this, riddle me this, Batman. What if the Fed cuts rates because inflation goes down faster? Not because the economy slows. And that's what everyone thinks. Everyone Every- thinks if we cut, it's because the economy is slowing. Yep, we're going to, we're going to, Pump up unemployment. Economy's going to slow. We're going to have an earnings recession. Fed's going to cut. <laughs> they're not They're not cutting. They're not going to cut. No. What if we go through all next year and they don't cut? Holy shit. You get a steepening of the yield curve. Banks rip. You have participation across the board. Well, well, Wait, you don't think they're cutting? Yep. I, so I think directionally the next thing is a cutting cycle. But why would you cut? Why would you cut now? What For what purpose? You literally have... Everything in the palm of your hand if you're a central banker. There's no reason to cut. Okay. You have a job market that's great but moderating. You have, like, wage gains that are moderating. You have shelter costs that are moderating. Just – it's fine. Wait, Leave why is alone. there no reason to cut? For, for what purpose? Because what if you say mission accomplished, they've done enough, 
They've never they've, say that. They've been restrictive enough. Inflation is coming down. Wage gains are coming down. It's all heading in the right direction. There's no need to be this restrictive. I think they cut if inflation really, really goes lower. Like we're talking 2% or lower. What? What if that happens? They're cut. But for, for to what end? Because they think it's going to get worse. When inflation hits 2%, what what else is happening in the economy well, to, to that means have Well, the economy that? would have cooled significantly for inflation. Like are we at 5% unemployment rate at 2% or are we still at 4 I think we're still at 4 But the bond market is going to do most of the work for us. I, I it's doing it. I know. But if we're maximizing employment, mm-hmm. which is tenant number one, mm-hmm. and then tenant number two is stabilized prices, mm-hmm. if we do both of those two things without a rate cut, what's the necessity to cut rates? But Brian, let me just tee you up before this answer. Please. So you said this in February 23. It was, true, to, it was true today. It is true today. You said we need to see a massive reversal in labor trends to trigger a recession. That's what you said with us in February. It hasn't happened. So, Mike, back to you. Yeah, it's everyone's got jobs. And remember, too, the other thing I said, too, we have a massive amount of people that are underemployed and they're, they're still kind of coming back. And, you know, what's interesting about the wage stuff is that um, white collar, this is a, it was a tough year on Wall Street because we had a lot of rifts, reduction in forces, a lot of people lost their jobs. Um, we're in a tough, tough compensation cycle. It was comp day today at uh, my, my employer. Nobody feels bad for Wall Street. Well, the city does. Yeah. Right. And and um, I think I think the high end is coming down. The lower end is coming up. That from the marginal side, though, I mean, you really have to come up. But I don't see that reversing anytime soon. In terms of just how steady wages are, how steady the economy is, we're still spending money, money like drunken sailors. We're just changing the way that we spend. We're still spending the money. Uh, ironically, in the Jolts uh, report that came out this week, one of the tr- one of the new trends is. For the first time in a long time, leisure and hospitality hiring has now gone negative. So this was the most bulletproof part of the economy was people traveling. That's now not in any major way. I think it's like minus 7,000 jobs or something. But just still, it's not up 200,000. It's because if you try to book something in December, for the the, the prices are astronomical. I'm guessing that within the next week or 10 days, those prices are going to drop because they need to fill those planes Counterpoint, JetBlue is up 15% today. Because of the guidance that they delivered. Counter counterpoint, it was a four dollar stock, ha- having having. Oh uh, well, guess what? Delta. I mean, I mean look, <laughs> Delta, but Delta ripped too. The airlines all ripped. Counter counter counterpoint wasn't. There. You can't triple. <laughs> Does stamp. Alaska buy you Hawaii? You I can't, mean, Hawaiian Airlines. You can't Come on, triple man. Triple stamp a double stamp. Hey, oh, let me ask you this. I've yeah. been asking a lot of our guests. Wait, wait. Alaska Air <laughs> bought Hawaiian Airlines. Yeah. Can you imagine getting on a Hawaiian Airlines flight to Alaska? That's pretty funny. That's sexy. Yeah, That's yeah. what that is. Brian, yeah. if we get a softening of the labor market yep. and a recession, which nobody wants to see, do you think it's do you think that it's going to happen because of the interest rate increases? Or do you think that we can say that's behind us and it will come from something that we don't see coming? It's probably going to come from something we don't see coming. And I'm not saying we're never going to have a recession because that's stupidity because we will at some point. But it'll happen when no one's looking for it. And maybe this is a 25 or 26 theme. It's not going to be next year. That's such a good point. 2022 was the year that everybody saw the recession coming. And the behavior that corporations made, in part, helped to maybe avoid a recession. Is that possible? Yes, it is. And and I will tell you that- We all braced for impact and there was no impact. If you go back to 2018, right? Great market until Trumpy started fighting with Powell, right? And, and, and China. And China, give him the finger. Uh, and then Powell raised rates one more time in December. Market got hit. 
Every, all the bears, and you know who they are, taking a victory lap, pulling their muscles, patting themselves on the back. And then January, Powell pivoted. January 2019 was 1995 all over again. He did three cuts in 19 um, after a month prior saying we're nowhere near normal. Right. And the market ripped, remember? Yeah. And and coming into 2020, I'm like, we're going to have a recession. I could feel it. We're going to yeah. have a recession in 2020. Well, you had an inverted yield curve in the summer of 19. And, you know, we don't talk about it now. Because it did predict a recession. Dude, it predict COVID. 2019, yeah. 2019, <laughs> yeah. 2019 never happened for me. I have no memory of 2019. No. The, the pandemic sucked out all of my mental energy. Yeah, Honestly. I, I totally agree with I that. I have no memory of 2019. It was a good, I mean, it was a great year for stocks. Stocks were up 30%. Yep. But you had an inverted yield curve for half the year. We don't even talk about that anymore. Because that that got, that, that, that omen came true, but in the form of COVID. Had we not had COVID- were we destined to have a recession in 2020? I don't know. Nobody – we'll never know. Might have. May, I, of course. Let's do uh, – let's get to Belsky's stuff. All right. So, Brian, I'm so glad that you're here because you put out your 2024 report and you've got some great charts that we're going to walk through. So, 2024, it's the second year of a bull market. And, uh, John, let's throw these charts on, please. What are we looking at here? Average uh, performance of a, the second year of a bull market is 11%. Going back to 1946. Cal like, not calendar, but like the next 12 months after yeah. the first 12 months. So on yeah. average, a bull market, the first year of a bull market, and obviously I'm guessing that a bull market starts after a bear market. These are all bear market, post bear yeah, market Yeah, so if you, if you remember, when we are here in February, we said start of the, bull, the start of the new bull market started in October. You son of a bitch. Thank you. But nobody believed us. And then all of a sudden in June, we're in a bull market. I thought, we, I thought we would revisit that October low so yeah, back I. in February. Most, most people did. And in March, it looked likely with uh, the bank shit. That's yeah, but the way the way that they rotated out of those banks, man, and yeah. went into tech. And then yeah. you had the three tech rallies, right? You had the January effect tech rally, which you talked about in February. And then uh, the, the rotation. The, the rotation. And then, then the AI is, AI Dude, is coming. Dude, the, the NVIDIA earnings call in May. That was that was the end of my bearishness. Like that was like, oh shit, there's something else going on that's way bigger than Silicon Valley Bank. Sometimes you get really lucky. And we bought Nvidia five or six years ago because of the gamers. Yeah. And then EV and, and then, then AI. And then you forgot to sell it and then AI. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man, listen. Talk about 2022 and humbling. Yeah. If I had one Nvidia email I had to uh, and a one Nvidia email I had to reply to or one on Shopify, we held them. The entire time, dude, that stock fell 70 percent. I know. I was getting, <laughs> I was getting shit on TV, like, like ask Josh, how's Nvidia doing when it was one twenty? So AI saved the market and it saved Josh Brown. It it really did bail me out. Thank God. Thank God for Thank AI. Thank God. Um, I, I, I think, uh, I think though May was really the turning point sentiment wise, because it's when people revisited big, big cap tech again. They started to believe in it again because. Um, the, the amount of conversations that I was having in the first couple, three months of the year about, eh, it's just January effect, you know, it's saying uh, you need to go back into these stocks. Nobody believed it. And then it was the, then it was the May, I'm sorry, the March rotation. Mm. Well, you know, where else are you going to go? I can't own these fucking banks. Mm. Yeah, this yeah. is in trouble. What else are you buy? Oil's not working. Yeah. Right. And energy, remember how people were so bold up on energy. Yeah. And, and, um, and I think I, I said to you guys in February. Oh, you couldn't buy dividend. Could like like oh, no, uh, no, no. rates were crushing dividends. Yep, 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 yep. yep. Yeah. So then where else are you going to go? I got to perform right. because I'm going to performing. And then all of a sudden, boom. right back to Microsoft. <laughs> yep. And then everybody. And then then you know here comes AI and everyone's a believer. But there's it's not just. I think what people are missing is it's not just 
NVIDIA. I mean, it is an amazing company, uh, but there's other parts of AI and other companies in tech that I think um, that could really play in this from a longer-term secular um, vision. So I want to get to the, the big moves thing. Yeah. Can we do that? All right. Um, this is one of your charts. Big moves are less common in second year of bull markets. So let's assume we're in year two. If the bull market started October, are we really in year two? Are we started October 2022? Well, yeah. 2024, but year two, yeah. Yeah, we're in year two. Yeah, we're in year two. Okay. So what's the way that we said it was well, so what are the what's the average? What's the average and then what's the the second year of bull market? Second year the average or year one. This is the S&P 500 percentage of days with daily price change of plus or minus 1% or greater. Yeah. In year one, it's 26% of the time or 26% of days. And in year two, it's more like 15. Am I explaining that right? Yeah. Th yeah. Okay. That's exactly right. So what we said is this. Year 2023 was year one of the bull market, part of our 25-year secular bull market call that we've been out with. Because um, you can have flat years and negative years um, in a big secular bull. Year two, um, year one is the welcoming back. Nobody believes it. You have the type of moves that we had, uh, climbing the wall of worry, January, all the stuff that happened. Year two is we kind of get back into normalized trading. What I said last year as well, as I said, the nor welcome to normal. The, t the title of my report this year is Normal for Longer. A play Ooh, love it. Like a play on words for higher for longer because I'm so bored of hearing higher for longer. How about normal for longer? What's normal? High single digits to low double digit performance and earnings growth together. PEs between mid teens, VIX. Yeah, mid, yeah. yeah uh, PEs, you know, 15, 14 to 18, 19 on the okay, top. Check. Some sort of a trading range. Now, I'm not a fixed income guy, nor do I play one on TV, not an economist, you know, whatever. I think we're going to have some sort of a range-bound 10-year treasury hovering around 4% the first half of the year, 3.5% the second half of the year. That makes sense to me because what would be the source of volatility in the 10-year this year? I understand what it was this past year. This coming year, what theoretically, what would be the – what would introduce like, like an out-of-nowhere 6% CPI print? Like I'm trying to think what would make the 10-year – be as wild as it just was. Yeah, people ask me what I'm worried about. If you have some sort of a surprise of the upside on, on inflation. Yeah. But but the other thing, you go back to the of thinking contrarian, the the death of 6040. Well. I mean, come on, man. We do we do a blog post or or a or a YouTube show like once a week debunking that. So, I mean, yeah. I, that was an easy call. Yeah. That was an easy call. And you saw how how Yo, imagine saying that shit a year after the Barclays Ag falls 13% and the S&P falls 20. Imagine coming out then and saying no more 60-40. Oh my gosh. Like of all the timing, this this is li this is literally the worst thing you could possibly say prospectively. And I think a lot of people, you know, they give us a lot of guff for saying we're in a 25-year secular bull market, but people forget that we had a 40-year bull market in bonds. And the last two years we had negative real rates return. We haven't seen that. And so you have a lot of people coming back in. Remember too that you had you had wealth wealth um, advisors putting people in five five and a quarter five and a half money market accounts, or in big firms would they have the balance sheet six seven percent money market accounts? There's people sitting in cash still on the wealth side, and they have to put it to work. Dividend growth has been crushed this year, um, and value is starting to come back a little bit with financials, but. I believe that there's going to be money put to work both in stocks and bonds. Every year, um, I try to sneak something into the report. 
Um, and this year, uh, I love pop culture. If you haven't uh, haven't noticed, and have you ever seen the movie Semi Pro? Will Ferrell. Yeah. Jackie uh, Moon. Ba- basketball. Everybody love everybody. <laughs> Honestly, been, been, when I talk about se- sector sector size and style, wait, wait. the title. What was the name of the team? Is it Detroit? No, the Flint Tropics. The Flint Tropics. The Flint, the Flint, they're based in Flint, Michigan, and they got palm tree. Yeah. Uh, on the- yeah. Everybody love everybody. Right. The top of the page for sector size and style. Everybody love everybody. Brian, what are the what are the other normal things that you have normal for longer going to year two is uh, maybe the equal weight catching up a little bit. Yep. So on average, in year one of a bull market, you see broad participation. You've got, on average... 280 stocks outperform the S&P 500. This year has been uh, an outlier. Only 155 stocks have outperformed the index. You see that normalizing in year two? I do. A catch-up trade? I do. Part of it is actually what we're seeing fundamentally. Um, let's just talk about you know, the Magnificent Seven, which, by the way, uh, only three of them are tech stocks, right? Yeah. Technically. Because Amazon's consumer discretionary. Tesla's. So is Tesla. And uh, Google's and communications, communications, Google machine, and, and, and Meta uh, too. Yeah, yeah, are both communication services. Um, I mean, they are. I mean, tech. they are though. Tech. No, but let's just come on. They're they're tech. The S and P committee, notwithstanding. If Google's not tech, I don't know what tech is. Yeah. Well. Anyway. Anyway, um, we're starting to see differing earnings trends and valuation trends there as well. So what's that tell you? If you're starting to see disparity, dispersion increase, it's not. I don't think you have to own all the seven, and I think that's going to carry through in the other areas. If you look at just charts with respect to growth versus value, not only performance but valuation and earnings growth, and and oh my gosh, the small mid cap stocks, oh, they look amazing. Not just because they're oversold, they had but a big you, week. Got a huge week. Got a huge. Wait, what month. about them looks amazing? You mean relative They're to twelve the, times earnings? If you look at S and P mid, S and P small, and SPX, and we have a chart in the report that shows price to free cash flow and return on equity, it, it looks amazing. I in my thirty four years, I've never seen free cash flow like it is in the mid cap stocks. Yeah, what's what's in the mid caps? It's I know there's consumer discretionary there. There's healthcare. Like what dom- does anything dominate the mid caps or it's not fin- necessarily? It's financials, okay. some tech, healthcare. Um, there's hardly in small mid cap land. There's not a lot of consumer staples, right? Um, so that's the one thing that you can just not own anything. You're not going to get any tech in small cap, really. No, there's some REITs. There's plenty. There's some yeah. decent REITs, especially in small cap. John, let's keep it moving with the charts because there's a lot of good stuff. I want to make sure that we get to it. Brian, we're looking at. The you're saying that the largest S and P 500 stocks, and we're looking at the top ten, trade at a substantial premium to the rest of the market. So you're saying right now it's 25 times. This is this is next 12 months. Yep. Uh, it's 25 times forward earnings on the average, average is 19, 19. Yep. And then if you exclude, so you're talking about like if you were to exclude this, this probably looks sort of similar to the mid caps. You've got 15 times uh, forward earnings on average at 16, so just slightly less. So you, again, top 10 expensive based on forward earnings relative to average, and the rest not so expensive. Yep, exactly. So that also bodes well for the value trade, the broadening out trade. Um, as people, who's to say we're not going to get some profit taking in some of these tech stocks that people don't want to be in. You know, our our belief is, again, not all seven. You don't have to own all seven, but you should have representation in some of them. But I think given the fact that 
everybody says this, talks about stock pickers market, but I think I think we've entered into the golden age of stock picking again. Say more. This is what everyone wants to hear. Yeah, please. The golden age this of stock like, picking. I mean, yeah. this year is like like adding insult to injury for stock pickers. It's like, wait a minute. If I'm not at least equal weight and I better be overweight, You're short. these seven stocks, like I don't I didn't earn my my salary this year. It's so like it's so bad right now for people. Well, that's so. why November happened. Right? Because they November. had the uh, this, no, no sell November. Yeah. The pe- people had to be positioned. Yeah. And then that's why I think we could tread water and just, I don't like making short term calls. But remember, portfolio managers and all the marketing people have to write their stuff for the next year. They have to have sponsorship in this, especially if they've underperformed. They have to show that they've been buying it to, to perform along with that. Brian, if you're not short, you're long. I mean, if you're not long, you're short is the new, if you're not first, you're last. <laughs> I don't hate that. John, another I, another Will Ferrell uh, for all you. Uh, if you're not first, you're last. Yeah, first, I, I last. actually believe that. All right, yeah. so relative price change yep. of the largest ten stocks versus the remaining stocks. I mean, this is obviously the story of the year: the Mag Seven, the top ten versus the rest of the market. They outperform. I mean, this is hilarious. Now. I've been making the point at nauseum that you can't look at 23 without looking at 22. So you have record outperformance of the top 10. Not quite record underperformance, but last year obviously sucked ass for these companies. But the next chart that I really want to focus on is you say the S&P 500 can perform when large stock leadership fades. People are thinking that if Apple, Microsoft don't carry the baton, uh, that the S&P can't work. And that's just not true. No. And you have to also look back on on those periods and what was going on, 92, we're coming out of recession, 98, we're coming, that was um, the nifty 50, where Greenspan talked about irrational exuberance, had nothing to do with tech stocks, had everything to do with uh, uh, General Electric and Procter & Gamble and Coke trading at 40 times. In 2009, that makes sense because people sought liquidity. Why did they see liquidity? Oh, because we were scared shitless. And that was the get back into into stocks thing at the 666 lows of the S&P. 2013, that makes sense too. We talked about earlier that 2012, everybody was bearish. And so that was a bit of a, of a ramp up. We had nice, I thought 2019 was a great year because we had broader participation across the Yeah, so what is board. it saying? That the top 10 stocks only did 2.2% better than the S&P in 2019? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that was like one of those years that everyone's like, this is what the stock market should look like. Right. Did people like the market that year? I don't remember. No. No. Of course Nobody not. Nobody was happy. You know, I'd be, I'd be, we spend so much time, rightfully so, talking about these big stocks. I'd be worried if RSP, the equal weight, if RSP was down six and the S&P 500 was up 20 because it was only the names, I'd be worried. However, the equal weight S&P it's up like 8%. Yeah. It's not like the market is falling apart and the only thing that's keeping it up is Apple and Microsoft. That's just not the case. No, it's not the case. And I think that's why November, even though it was a period, let's go chase performance, we started to see the semblance of this broadening out already, not just from small cap, but also into value and dividend growth actually did quite well. So you don't think we're cutting next year? Do you, do you think that the rate hikes are over? Because if the rate hikes are done, that would bode well potentially for value, at least historically. Yes. John, next chart, please. That so speak correct. to this. What are we looking at? What's the headline here? Value tends to outperform following the end of the rate end hikes. Of, the end of so, rate. So, so if you go 12, assume we're not getting one in December. Yeah, so let's go 12 months out. The average performance of the Russell 1000 value uh, annualizes 20, 20.6% following the end of the rate cycle 12 months out. Versus 15 for? Growth. For growth. 
That's a big difference. Do you think do you, annualized? Do you yeah. think I'm going to hold your feet to the fire? You think that this happens this time around as well? You think value will outperform growth next twelve months? Oh, wait, other wait, hold on. But other than three months out, every, it takes time. Every time period though, six months, six, nine months, six percent months. of the time. Yeah, because remember, um, when growth is scarce, growth outperforms. So you that they hold on to that as long as they can. Yeah, right. That makes that, sense. That's a big part of it. Those are the so, last stocks that get sold. I'm going to talk my book. Everybody love everybody. I think it's going to be closer than you think. It's going. I think at, at the end of the day, if we're back here in December, I think value will slightly outperform growth. But I think it's. Gonna, I don't think it's going to be a massive outperformance. But it will outperform. I'm totally with you. So if we don't, you know, predictions are fun. Whatever, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I, if I had to guess, I think that we're too early in the AI trade for growth to not work next year. I think value is going to potentially do better. But I don't think there's going to be a huge spot where growth underperforms dramatically. No. And I think that there's a way to look at growth at a reasonable price inside value because you don't want to buy a value trap. The other, when you're running value money like we do, there's also, there's always some sort of a contrarian play you want to play inside your value uh, portfolio. So, you know, obviously the contrarian play heading into I next year's financials. I, th I think it's, yeah, I think it's real Dude, estate. Financials look good. REITs too. I added, you know what I, uh, we bought Boston Properties. I think I think I think mortgages have been crashing. The XP six looks weeks good. Now. I think I think like REITs are are going to have a moment. I don't know if it's next year, but I think they have a moment. We also upgraded utilities. Anybody that knows me knows same I thing. hate utilities. I own utilities. Can hate them. I bought the bottom, not to brag. Hand up. I did it. Well, we telegraphed that because we did a report. We did a re we did a report late <laughs> in you October. Guys are fist bumping over utilities. <laughs> this is exciting. <laughs> but I was on with you, and we were talking yeah. about Next Era, right? Yeah. And they were giving shit. you shit about it. I hope it goes to zero now. I sold it. Uh, but anytime you have this huge disparity in terms of performance of the highest yielding stocks, which is uh, utilities are a big comp uh, component of that, it's like 1.125 standard deviations above, below what they normally sell off. That was the entry point. So I, that's exactly why I bought it, uh, bespoke an analysis like that, showing that when the S&P outperforms the XLU to that extent, like 20-something, 20 25% over the previous 12 months. That's that's the buy signal. Uh, let's do this margins chart. Wait, hold on. Lastly, just I just don't, I don't want to get off sectors real quick. Yeah, financials look good. Like they're trading well. Oh yeah. I'm not talking about fundamentals. I'm just I'm just talking about the charts. Always a head fake. They they're, never follow through. They're trading well. What if Captain? Negative. What if 2024 financials lead? Nobody's position for that. They're just so, nobody. They're just so cyclical. They never follow through. You know, in the old days, it was as financials go, so go the market. Obviously, no. as tech goes, so goes the market. Yeah. Now, you think so they could that. lead next year? You don't think so? No. Uh, we're uh, we're overweight, but if you take a look at where what do you how, like? What do you like in finance? I, I own some. What do you like in? I'm in so Berkshire, you, J.P. Morgan. Okay, so um, we made a bunch of stock changes last week, okay. and I told I told um, the channel that because I, I was on Monday, the day that got printed, and I said you might want to have me back on Friday because we're making a bunch of changes. Okay, and one of the big changes we did is we blew out J.P. Morgan everywhere except for dividend growth, and the it's reason the most expensive bank. Most expensive, number one. Number two, um, we already own Berkshire and Bank of America. Yeah. And if you're stock picking, you want to diversify out. We bought a basket of regionals. Uh, because I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen there, but I think they're way under-owned. Well, if the, height cycle is done, if the hiking cycle is done, they should outperform. And I bought specific ones in, regionals, or in regions where I thought the economy was going to be strong, like the Southeast, like regions financial. I mean, I think that's a layout. You know, hit a 52-week high this week? Not 52, excuse me, all-time high. And this is not technically a financial. In fact, it's not really a financial, but Visa. 
I kept my visa. I sold Ameriprise in, to, in my value portfolio and wanted to fund it. I bought more Citigroup. Everybody hates Citigroup. Citigroup. Everybody hates it. What are you, trying to get fired? Everybody hates it. I'm telling you. Well, what's the like about it? Management change. They're cutting costs. They're firing people. It's uh, great. Chart, chart's yeah. looking a little better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, cheap, cheap, cheap. What are we saying about margins here? Brian, what are we saying? Margins have not collapsed despite macro pressure. This is the bear case is that profit margins are peaking, except the problem has been the bear case for 12 years. Yeah. And if you go back, I will, if you go back to 11 and 12, that was, that was the call. 11 yeah. and 12 margins suck. No, but they're, they're going to mean revert. Right. Mean revert. And we think that revenue growth is going to be good. It's just like coming into, coming into last year, into 2023, Earnings, I think, are, are kind of surprised. They're going to surprise. People, um, all right, this is weird to me. Everybody would accept this statement. If I make this statement, if I say making a film in 2023, like you can make a higher quality film on every front than you could have made in 1983. Like visual effects, sound, editing, cinematography, music, acting. Like you can basically, not that... Every movie now is better than every movie from then. But I'm saying, like, technically, everyone would accept that premise. Why don't we ex- – and we would say the same thing about, like, uh, uh, about like air travel. We would say the same thing. Like, things improve. Why don't we believe that margins could remain high because corporations have gotten better than what we're comparing them to? 40- like, all of the people running companies now have the benefit of being able to look back at all the mistakes that previous corporations have made. So it's not that corporations are infallible, but it would make sense to me that if a corporation's purpose is to maximize profit, they're probably better at it these days than they were 50 years ago. Is that controversial? No, it's common sense, but also it is. But nobody, everyone says mean reversion. Like we have to go back to the profit margins of decades ago. Yep. For no, under- we have to because we for always why, do. No, it and- made sense. The argument, I think, made sense that the, the margins of some of these companies were so high that competition would come in and drive the margins down. However, what the bears could not, potent- could not possibly see in 2012 was that Google and Microsoft and Meta were going to have 70% gross margins and monopoly characteristics. They couldn't have predicted that. So I don't blame them for getting it wrong. Talk about efficiencies and productivity. I think AI to the next 10 years to disinflation, what is what offshoring was to disinflation the previous 20 years. I don't think we understand that quite yet. I think that we have been- This is an argument for margin preservation. Correct. It also is, if you going back to what I said before, we're so afraid, afraid to be wrong, we don't want to be right. It's been a secular change in terms of under-promise and over-deliver on Wall Street. And I think the vid, uh, COVID, um, and not being able to sit down with company managers across the table. You're on the stupid screen. You can't, the art of being able to talk to clients and talk to company management, not knowing they're lying. That's a really big deal. And so all we do now as analysts are we're lemmings. Okay. Yeah. Whatever you say. Congrats okay. on the quarter, gentlemen. Hey, great, Thanks great for job. taking the question. Great job. Yeah. Uh, caller Appreciate number three. you taking the question. Yeah. Brian, what happens if in 2024, and I'm not asking you the like that, but what, what happens to the market if we get multiple expansion and earnings growth? Then we hit my bull, my bull case of 5,500, brother. How many, what, what, more, what percentage is, is 5,500 from here? A lot. No, what, it was a thousand points. Was it was we, like are tw- we 45? Like 25, 25%? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, I think everyone would. I think everyone would sign up for that. So let's then talk- we get nervous about then, brother. Though then then we start getting nervous about 2025. 
Well, of course. Of course. I will be very what else nervous. Are we here for? I will be very <laughs> if we go twenty five, I will get very nervous. You spoke earlier in the show about this fallacy that higher interest rates means worse stock market performance. We grabbed this chart that shows what happens when the U.S. Treasury yield is above its three-year moving average, which yep. is what happened now, but that's not always so bad. Talk on it. It isn't. So that's why we boxed that. Um, and we said, you know, if above the three-year average and rising, okay? Which so, sounds scary. Hold on. Sounds bad. If the, if the rolling one-year price, uh, if the 10-year if the yield is above 3%. No. No, above its three-year average. So let's take okay. the- the last three years, what's the average ten-year Treasury? I don't even know. And then, if is it falling or, or rising. rising or okay. whatever? So chances are, it's it's been falling, right? I don't know. Right? The average has been falling. Yeah, the yes. average has been falling because they peaked in in October. Yeah. So the average has been falling. That actually portends to strong performance. But again, we were we were not normal. You're saying Zoom. in that period. Yeah. On a rolling one-year basis, the stock market on average has been up 10.5%. But what's interesting, it doesn't matter if it's rising or falling. If it's above the three-year average, meaning interest rates Stocks are, are higher right. than they have been for the last three years on average, that's not bad for the stock market. Because here's why. The majority of time that interest rates are higher is because earnings are strong and the economy is strong. That's why, that's why interest rates uh, go up traditionally. Because remember, we've been in a disinflationary right. environment since 1982. Okay. And so we've reared an entire generation of investors that all they understand is that stocks go up if interest rates go down. Yeah. The Fed has to cut for the market to go right. up. Right. It's it, because, uh, well, listen, they haven't read the history. They don't know about the 1950s when we're hiking rates basically every year to offset World War II era inflation. They don't mm -hmm, know about mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. They don't know that rates went up in the 80s and 90s, accompanying the second greatest bull market ever. They just don't, they're not aware because most people are not aware of what they didn't experience. So if you came into the market in 2010, 15, uh, 13 years, all you know is that every five years, somebody screws something up and the Fed has to cut rates to bail out the stock market. Correct. So I get it. Like, I understand it. So that's why this- this I would think that too. I just happen to have had a little bit of history predating that where it wasn't that way. We weren't rooting for Fed weight cuts in 2003, 2004, 2005. That was not- the bull case was not, holy shit, this is great. The news is getting worse. Therefore, the Fed's going to come in and, and cut rates. Nobody wanted that. That's why this, it's just crazy that we're looking at macro, 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 macro. We're looking at Fed funds futures that have been wrong, by the way. Wrong. We're so, everyone's focused on that. Yeah. And they're not making decisions. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I totally, I totally agree. Uh, what, what's, uh, what's this presidential election stuff? Do you believe in this stuff? You like the election year cycle? We're, it worked this year. We're in the third year of the presidential cycle. It's supposed to be a great year for stock market. Well, guess what? It really was. Yeah. Coincident? I don't know. Causal? Maybe. The stock market does great after midterm elections, historically. All right. Historically so, we got, does. so we got that. That's number one. N number two. It worked. Look at this uh, background. Great job, John. America. There we go. God, that's good. John is so just So Democrat it. seeking re-election. That's Daniel. Market's well, well usually done. up. Daniel, okay. well done. Market's usually up. Um... So I remember is president is the president really seeking re-election or are the people that handle him like just kind of telling him yeah we're going to keep doing this like he, I don't know is he like seeking it does he really want to be re-elected he's not acting like it he doesn't know he doesn't know he can't know All listen right. you know it, we're somebody I've said involved this, is seeking re-election on his take behalf. it easy on the old man listen I've said I've said this publicly 
and I'm not showing my cards, but we, we, we have to be, honestly, let's just be some common sense here. We have to be the laughing stock of the world, right? Two octogenarians running for president. One's an egotistical narcissist, and the other one has to be jacked up on Adderall, cocaine, <laughs> and Red Bull just to talk. I mean, no disrespect. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, no, come on. And it came, and it came through that way. And I've said this. I've said this um, in <laughs> in print. So politics have nothing to do with the absolute performance of the stock market. Yeah. And well, I wrote that specifically in in my year ahead for 2021 because everyone's freaked out. The blue wave is coming. The Democrats are going to come in and they're going to tax everybody and the growth is going to. Guess what? Zero interest rates takes care of all that, brothers and sisters. Yeah. That's why the market went up in 2021, not because of anything politically. Politics right. is not quite the number one or even number two. Nobody's reason. calling that the Biden bull market. It's not the number one or two reason why people lose money, but it's up there. People let's, make very bad decisions hey, based on politics. Let's jump to uh, S&P 500 2024 year-end forecasts. So you're on here. This is, uh, this oh, is hey. my friend Sam Rowe shared this. He Sam does a lot of really great stuff at the end of every year, collecting everyone's outlook for the next year and then putting them into context of how hard it is to get the stuff right. But uh you and Deutsche Bank are at fifty one hundred. Yeah, I saw Benke down in um, Baltimore. Do you know? Right? Do you know that guy? Sure. I don't know. I never met him. Is he's he good? A, he's a really nice guy. Okay, you should have won fifty one oh one. I want. I mean, yeah, you want to be Belsky really, the bull. You got to yeah. earn it. All right. Uh, RBC's at five thousand. Bank of America's at five thousand. I read. Uh, I don't know who who comes up with the target, but I read Savita today. Uh, do we Gold, know what the averages? Goldman forty seven hundred. Looks like the average is forty two hundred of these. Morgan Stanley forty five hundred, J P Morgan forty two hundred, which yeah. is interesting. Do you um do you read other strategists' rationale behind their calls and and or is that too distracting for you and you don't want that in your head? It's a because you've been in this seat for for years. Like what is that like? Longer than all these people. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad. Wait, you what? I've been in, in the seat longer than these people. All of these people. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad or indifferent. I think it's great. Um, you know, listen, you don't want to be in it, in which case it's not good. No. Well, you seem, dude, you seem pretty, you seem pretty happy. Listen, I love my job. Okay, good. Um, right. it's a really, really tough job. It's a really tough job. And all of these people are great people and they have different processes. And I can tell, I know all of these people and how they got there and, and their background and everything. Yeah. And I would never disparage them. Um, but, but, <laughs> but let's just call it what it is. Do it. No, we're just kidding. We don't. We don't do. We don't disparage anyone. No, on let's show. not disparage. But you got to think about who the clientele is that, that that they're going out there with this, right? So who are the who are the primary payers of commissions on Wall Street? Hedge funds. And are they are hedge funds bullish or bearish? Uh, usually bearish. I mean, enough said. Drop the mic. That's a, like a drop the mic yeah, but thing. Isn't historically don't strategists always get tarred with the uh, term like oh they're always bullish? Now it's weird. Like last year, they were super bearish and wrong. Um, now they're not so bullish, but they're not so bearish. But I thought everyone makes fun of. I thought everyone makes fun of big investment banks on Wall Street because they're always rosy. Now they don't seem that way. No, I mean I think there's been a secular change. I mean, yeah. you know, you go back to the '90s. Yeah, every, well, everyone I mean, was a bull, but they should have been. Right, we're going up. But they were a lot of the strategists were late. To, yeah. to roll over. And then 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 analysts were bad, the bad guys. And then everybody started modeling their own and they looking at macro and looking at quant and kind of said no to the strategists and no to the analysts. So I think we're going back to old-time hockey. You have to pass the puck, you skate with the puck, you shoot the puck. I'm, I'm just a simple Minnesota kid. And um, I just think we're going back into storytelling 
Um, I really pushed my team when uh, we had the bank issue in March saying, I want to look at every bank we own. I want to look at how long the CEO and CFO has been there. I want to see what's on their loan portfolio. What's their track record in terms of earnings? What What's their balance sheet look like? Well, you were looking for sell candidates. Yeah. Are we wrong? Because the hedge funds are going after really great companies. And they came back to me and said, they said, because my team's like, we got to sell these. And I'm like, do the Just practice. On, like on the surface. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So let's follow the practice. Everything I said is good old fashioned, roll up your sleeves and do stock picking and do the analysis. And, and I'm here to tell you that a lot of people don't do that anymore. And we kept all of our banks and those banks have tripled. JP Morgan is the most bearish, at least on, on Sam's list of 12 uh, companies or 12 analysts that did this. They're at 4,200. And they that's they're at $225 a share for the S&P 500. Here's a quote that Sam pulled with a step down in economic growth next year. Uh, U.S. growth to slow to 0.7% year over year, eroding household excess savings and liquidity and tightening credit. We see 2024 consensus hockey stick EPS growth of 11% as unrealistic. Negative corporate sentiment should be a catalyst for sharply lower estimates early next year. I'm guessing you don't agree. Macro, macro. Macro. Oh, really? There's nothing bottom up in there. No bottom up in there. Oh, by the way, go talk to a company. Yeah. Like I have the really good fortune of going around and talking to some of our commercial bank clients at BMO. They're bullish, right? They're believing. Okay, we're America. But Let's what? Go- CFOs or CEOs? Who's bullish? Connect both. Both. Yeah. Okay. And it's so weird. The macro is o- macro is always bearish, but the macro is bearish and and the bottoms up is bullish. Correct. Can I tell you something? I was looking at this McDonald's thing today. Tell me. Speaking of bottoms up and bull- – all right. McDonald's is – they had a character in the late 80s, early 90s, cosmic. It was an alien that would land and like eat all your french fries or whatever. It's mm-hmm. one of their McDonald's mm-hmm. land. So McDonald's had a slam dunk this year. They did the grimace value meal or something. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not going to deny that I had one. Uh, <laughs> anyway <laughs> – they are launching this new concept, only 10 stores in Texas at first, called Cosmics. And basically, they want to they want to take on Starbucks and Dunkin' for that fourth day part. It's not breakfast, not lunch, not dinner. It's like that 3 o'clock. I need some caffeine and a snack. I need like a slushy and like a something. What are they serving? So it's it's – uh, they're going to have 10 of these, so that's not really going to move the needle. But just the point that there are co- – companies will always find a new – can you imagine they capture a meaningful part of that day part? Probably it hurts Duncan more than anyone else, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do they start? I don't know. Shit that you probably shouldn't eat. But it's like um, – it's an example, I think, of a giant company that's done so well, stock price near an all-time high. But they're never satisfied. They're never not looking for the next way to grow. And uh, I did see the menu. What What do you think they would be selling here? Yogurts? What's like a midday slu- snack? Like slushies. Like, um, what do you mean slushies? Like slushies icy, at McDonald's? Like icy, no, it's not a McDonald's. It's, oh. a, it's another concept. It's another store. Yeah, but yeah, but it's a derivative. Of, of- it's, it's, a, it's a smaller footprint. Okay, there we Th- go. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a smaller footprint store, and it's like snacks and drinks. It's not... Happy Meals, not burgers. Okay. It's like an egg white wrap on a on a piece of bread or like they have like little little pastries. But I'm just yep. making yep, the yep, point. Yep, yep, yep. This is how Fortune 500 companies are thinking about next year. We're not retrenching. No. We're coming up with new things to do that will grow 
uh, businesses. Slushies mm-hmm. is the answer. Slushies. Slushies, <laughs> obviously. Caffeine, slushies. Let's, Super Bowl. Let's talk about something that happened inside of the market uh, last week that I thought was a really good flag from Grant Hawkridge at All Star Charts. Um, all right. He looked at the S&P 500 returns when there's a 20-day breadth thrust. And what we're looking at here is the percentage of S&P 500 stocks at a 20-day high. And that spiked. Historically, that is super duper bullish. If you go out, I'm going to pick one year, but we'll share the charts. If you want to see this, you could go into our sites. Uh, the, the percentage of times over... When did this start? Since 1979 that this is positive, it's 96% of the time a year later. And guess what? There's not like three examples of this. There's like a, I just eyeballed this, this like 25 like 30, times. 30 examples. Wow. So people get, JC always makes a point. How could an overwhelming demand for stocks be a bad thing? Well, people are afraid to make money. They assume it's a bubble when a lot of stocks go up all at once. That's like the assumption is like it's euphoria. So. Yeah, but that's a fallacy, though, because you no, can't— No, we know. But euphoria—first of all, it's not euphoria. But I would—using that word, euphoria, euphoria is bullish. Euphoria is not bullish. Heavy demand for stocks. When you see something like that, that is bullish. Just look at the numbers. It is. It is. But, you know, the, the whole term of bubble and greed and all that kind of stuff, you can't have that when you don't have the— Stocks can go up, and that's not—just because things go up doesn't mean it's a bubble. It's a bubble when we get frothy and greedy and lazy. No, no, no. It's not the definition. The definition of bubble is when stocks go up and you don't own them. That's (laughs) when it's a bubble. One thing that I would say to that chart, you get those bread thrusts when there is an overwhelming amount of pessimism. That's when it happens, and that's bullish. Correct, and you're not going to have this massive— bubble in tech until we have massive IPOs and lots of buyouts. We didn't get that this year. No, nowhere near that. You I need think financials a lot of people, in tech to play with that. I'm so glad you said that. A lot of people, myself included, thought capital markets would come roaring back in the second half, and they really didn't. We got three 10-pole IPOs, really big deals. Arm, um, the spinoff from J&J, Kenview, and what was the third? Insta. Insta. Instacart. And, and then, they, were, and then they said- F*** it. Here's Birkenstock. No? All right. We're done for the year. That was it. You didn't hear about deals after That's that. Sure, the IPO window's not open. I mean, it kind of, it's opening and up. And remember, but. too, there's this, there's this theme. You buy scarcity and sell capacity. Buy scarcity and sell capacity. And so that's why I think, too, you're going to start to see investors go down in cap to mid and, and small for beta and also for growth because there's no IPOs. Just one more thing on this topic. I just want to set the record straight that Euph- I'm not bullish on Euphoria. Euphoria is not bullish. But what this chart is, it's Too the, late. We clipped it for social it's, media. It's the clearing out of pessimism. It's when you get excess pessimism and you get that breadth thrust, yep. you're killing the pessimism. That's bullish. Yeah, I would agree. Okay, you're on the record there. Thank you. Uh, let's roll through some of these really quickly because it's not that much to say, but they are bullish. Net worth. Ed Yardeni says household net worth rose to a record high of $154.3 trillion during the third quarter, and that is up $37.6 trillion since Q4 2019, i.e. the last ever normal uh, quarter of American life. Capitalism is in a bubble. It's look at clear. This, look at this chart. Like, what? This is bearish? Explain how. Uh, yeah, any, I don't know. I any, don't get that. Let me show you the second one, though. This is the composition. This is U.S. households, selected assets, and net worth. They're all at they're all at record highs or very very close. This is equity shares. This stock market, owners' equity in households is the red line. Pension fund reserves, deposits and money market funds, 
um, equity in non-corporate business, I guess private equity, yeah. debt securities, life insurance. They're all higher than ever or trending in that direction. The, U the United States is very rich. A lot of money. All right. Uh, let's do this one. T-bills. Uh, I wouldn't call it a bubble. <laughs> uh, I'm buying T-bills. I'm, I'm happy. Not in replacement of stocks, but in replacement Star, of cash. Morningstar had a great had a great post. Uh, this is Amy Arnott, T-bill and chill. She was talking about just people uh, getting too comfortable, maybe a little bit too comfortable in cash. Eric Balchunas. What's that number, Mike? This is Hold on. Eric Balchunas grabbed a chart of money market funds. Holy shit. And Eric's- Not bearish. Eric said- No. Imagine this comes off the side. This is real cash. Guess where that money's lines. going. Yeah, exactly. Back is into the market. Is that $5.7 trillion? Yes. <laughs> so Eric said, listen to this. 14 money market funds have taken in over $20 billion each in 2022. I'm sorry, 2023. And 25 of the top 30 flow getting mutual funds are money market funds. Let me say that one more time. The top 12 flows into, into mutual funds are all money market funds. That's crazy, dude. And 25 of the top 30 flows from mutual funds are money market funds. Are we going to look back at that and say that was one of the great contrarian signals of all time? Yep. You think so? Mm hmm Okay. We had some of that in oh in 08, too late in 08. So you could say that what happened hold on. What happens the first Fed the first <laughs> Fed rate cut? What how fast does the money come I rushing don't agree out of with money that. markets? I don't agree with that. I don't I think it extends duration or it goes into stocks. I don't think it's I, I think that money cash moves very slowly. I think it was slow to go in and then it accelerated. I think it's gonna be slow to come out. I do. You you don't think so? No. You think it's a, a tsunami out of money market? Similar, we had a similar thing. That that chart's not going to crash. No, 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 no. But uh, I remember in the fourth quarter of 2008, I was still at Merrill Lynch, and we'd go around to the offices, and I would talk to the managers, and they say this is the largest, this is the fastest buildup on a quarterly basis of money markets in Merrill Lynch history. And then the next quarter, when was this? Fourth quarter of 2008. Then the next one, I remember that. And then the and then the the first quarter of 2009 it was the fastest move in bonds ever into bonds. And then after that, I was gone already, but I was still talking to people there. We had a massive flow. Barrett Merrill's had a massive flow back into equities. What? After it bottomed in yeah. March of 09? Right. When was the, when, when was it the summer? Um, so it would have been April, May, and June. Yeah. I think money is more likely to the extent that there will be a tidal wave of buying in equities. It's come from bonds, not money market funds. Come from bonds? Yeah. I don't, I just think cash doesn't move that fast. Cash doesn't move from money markets into equities. That's my opinion. We'll mm. say. Uh, but the ra I think the decision to get 5% at the beginning of the year and miss out on a 20% gain in the S&P 500 was a rational decision. There's Depends not on what you're using the money for. It's, it's rational for some people. For other people, it was stupid. It was not stupid. If you were using the money, it was smart. Because then you sat in cash, and at the end of the year, or whenever you were going to use the money— you didn't have anything at if risk. If somebody was in was in a 60-40 portfolio and somebody said, you know what? I kind of want to take 10% of that and put it in just, just safe, 5%. That's not a dumb decision. No, I don't think so. But again, it's it's if you if you're uh 28 years old and you did sure. that, why did yeah. you do that? Yeah. For like to what end, right? Right. Uh four-day work week, thanks to Chat GPT and Copilot. Jamie Diamond thinks so. Ray Dalio thinks so. I would take the other side. I Cannot imagine uh, people not doing stuff, not 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 trying to make more money by working more. I, it's, I'm sure there'll be some subset of people that will, but for the most part, societally, 
I don't see it, but I could be wrong. People used to work six days a week, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you think? I know I used to work seven days a week. I work seven days a week now. Uh, are we going to standardize a four-day work week because no, no way. large language models are going to do all our work for us? No way. I don't see it, right? No way. Uh, it's Now, remember last time, so the very first time I was on here, yeah. I talked about going back to work. Remember that? And my son said, have you seen the comments on YouTube about your dad? Nothing about the market calls. Like, they're giving me shit about going back to work. <laughs> yeah. Right. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Jamie Diamond says future workers will be at their desks just three and a half days a week. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe at J.P. Morgan. So maybe there. Yeah. Apropos right. of really not much, just maybe productivity and AI. So Google was up 5.3% today. I wonder if this is Google's... This has got to be one of their bigger moves po- outside of an earnings day in a long time. Definitely. Right? Yeah. Up 5.3%. Oh, not- no. They had a day equivalent to this on the way down when they did a live demo of bars. That was a disaster. And it made a mistake in front of an audience. I, the stock got killed that day. Right? Killed. Are we looking at that? It was, it was early in the year. Yeah, right So here. this killed. is the reverse of that. They, they launched an AI on Sundar Pichai's social media where it can – no, now. Uh-uh. It can accurately tell the difference between a chocolate chip cookie and an orange. I'm sold. Add, <laughs> add, add, add ninety billion dollars to Google's market cap. I, I totally get it. I mean, that's that's what's going on right now, whether whether you love it or that's not. Crazy. Right? That's crazy. That's crazy. All right, last thing. I think this is so cool. Uh, one of my favorite things about streaming music, Spotify and Apple, the digital streaming platforms, is that my kids are developing really good taste in music because they are being exposed to older music and not even realizing how old it is or anything. Just saying, I like this. I drove my daughter to a dermatologist last night. She's like, dad, I'm DJing. We were in 40 minutes of traffic. So I was like, all right, you're a DJ. She plugs her phone in. She does like, I don't know, 20 Jay-Z songs back to back. I'm like, how do you even know any of it? Like remixes that I've never even heard. It's all because of Spotify and Apple music. And I think that phenomenon is a really cool thing. Kids might not buy albums anymore. Okay, so what? They are learning. And to that end, this week, the number one song on the charts is uh, a Brenda Lee song, 65 years old, rocking around the Christmas tree. Wow. Yeah. So I think most kids know it from Home Alone. That's where I know it from. Yeah. That's. I mean, that's, the, but whatever. The point is, that's the number one song on Billboard's Hot 100 list is a song from the 1960s? Thank you, TikTok. 65 years ago? 59? I don't know. What year is that? Probably before the 60s. Let me say. Uh, 1958. Well, if it's 65 years ago. It says 58. 1958. All right. I think that shit is cool. What do you think? I think if you said Brenda Lee, I said crazy. That's what I think. Do you remember the, do you remember the meme of the guy riding a skateboard, drinking like a cranberry, ocean spray cranberry juice? Just like vibing out to Stevie Nicks. Yeah. Uh, dream, uh, Fleetwood Mac Dreams. Yep. And then that song went to number one. Like that's what's that's what's possible with uh, streaming music. That would not happen in a world where kids are buying albums. I think that's only possible now. I think it's kind of cool. Like I hope it. Uh, I hope it continues. Um, and maybe these kids. Uh, maybe these kids know more than we think they do about taste. I don't know. Well. Somewhat positive. I think it's really good that they're actually liking music because, yeah. like, real music. Yeah. And I've said this for a long time that I, I'm a, obviously a huge Apple bull and I own it in a lot of portfolios, but we also own Spotify. Yeah. And I think 
uh, from the from what'd you Spotify. think of that, what'd you think of that layoff uh, memo this week? I thought he handled it really well. I think so too. I think it was great. Okay, it's a lot of layoffs, though. I, yeah, but I mean, again, that's when you right size. That's that's a good thing. But on the Spotify side, I I do like the way that Spotify streams its music better than Apple. So do I. I use both, but I like. And Spotify. they have some. And by the way, they have better versions of songs. And I think you, it sounds better. It does. Why do I think that? Is this like Probably. the Gary vinyl argument? No, because what they the have a lot of remastered. Co- they have a lot of remastered content. Mo- yeah. more than Apple, and you can mix the songs together. You guys like are delusional. You no, think, come on. You, think that no, Apple- I'm gonna, you know what? I'm going to teach you something later. That that I, <laughs> I I know I do this every week, and I lecture you like I'm 30 years <laughs> old than you. I'm telling you right now. Uh, Zach Brown Band put out uh, an album of all of their live covers. They do a cover of Baba O'Reilly, The Who. That is. We so ridiculously good. If you listen to it on Spotify versus if you listen to it on Apple Music, it doesn't sound the same. And I don't know why. Hmm. I don't know if it's the Atmos or whatever that tech. I don't know, John. There's how, no way. Why does it sound different to me? Am I tricking myself? Uh, depending on the program and your settings, it can stream at a different bit. It's my settings that make <laughs> me think. That- <laughs> Erase this whole section. I sound like an asshole. Uh, what's your favorite Christmas song? You're going to make a holiday. Playlist. You you could only have one at number one. What? Where are you going? Let us know the Harry Connick version. Okay. Why? That's just that's the jam. Because it's just chug a chug a chug. Uh, oh, what do you got? Cold outside. What's the rapiest Christmas song of all? That's the one. <laughs> I like that's, that song. It's so, Have you ever listened to <laughs> it? Yes, I would. Yeah. It's so. It means bad. I, I think it's canceled. That's all. Canceled. It's like it canceled. It did, is it, right? Did you see the comedic bit of a guy who said, "Here's the song that got canceled, and here's the number one." the number one song in America. A guy did this, I don't know what comedy show, what comedy club he was at. He read the lyrics to Cold Outside. He read the lyrics to my blank is blank. Yeah. You saw that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Christmas song, I think I have to go with uh, Christmas and Hollis, Run DMC. Still a clap. Still, you put that shit on right now, it still slaps. So, that's my favorite Christmas song is Die Hard. (laughs) Great. All right, let's do favorites. Do you have fun on the show today? I did. Thank just you. Just encourage me. We didn't introduce you. Oh, uh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Belsky is. <laughs> you don't need an introduction. Our audience absolutely loves by, you. By you the crush way, it every time thank you, come. you so much for having me. And of I course. must apologize because I was supposed to be on in October. And the reason why I had to cancel was my Minnesota Twins were in the playoffs and they swept, the, they, they swept the Blue Jays. And I was supposed to be here on Thursday. Hey now. And I could have been here, but I was too. No, you made the right, you made the yeah. right choice. You made the right choice. Well, Thanks, speaking man. of hey now, rest in peace, Ralph Sorella. Holy shit. Uh, yeah, that's sad. Norman Leo this week, too. We, we yeah. lose a, I mean, it's always every week. I mean, Archie Bunker, right? I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, I looked at the list of shows Norman Lear. He, he basically raised us all. Yeah. If you think about it. Like, those are all the shows that you came home from school, my generation. We came home from school to watch those shows. I well, remember I, I remember watching them on Saturday night. Saturday night? Well, when Saturday night on CBS, with yeah, like, yeah. live. I mean, Saturday night was the big night. Uh, he was a genius. All right, let's do favorites. What do you got for us? You gave us Last of Us. Uh, I love that show. You yep. ready for season two? Oh. It's coming this year, dude. No, it's coming on three years. When's it coming out for real? This year. Is it? Yeah. First of all, first of all, it's the Mandalorian, right? So he's badass. And and I watched the first uh Pedro. What's his last Pascal. name? Pascal. Yeah, he's gonna be he's great. Now he's gonna be in the Fantastic Four, too. Yeah, he's gonna be uh, Reed, Reed Richards. Reed Richards. Yeah. Oh, Harper. they announced that? I missed that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. They're all for three on that, by the way. They have not made a good one, but I'm excited. All right, so Last of Us has a killer soundtrack. We talked about that killer. before. Yeah, I agree. A lot of a lot of my favorite TV shows 
also have awesome Spotify playlists accompanying them. Uh, the Bear is another the example. The Bear is good. Re- How um, good is the music in The Bear? Amazing. Amazing. Morning right? Show? Yes. Yes. Especially the first season. Really yeah. great music. So I, I, uh, there's a, sh- a show called A Drama at A Mutter at the End of the World. It's on Hulu. And I started watching the first episode, and the show opens with People Are Strange. Is that, is that a show? The original version? It might have been the Spotify version. I, I don't know. <laughs> Wait, who's, who's in that? Uh, nobody famous, but it's on Hulu. And Did it start already? Yeah, it's, get, it's, getting, some, it's getting some hype. Hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, is that your favorite for the week? No. Okay, give it to us. Uh, so, John Collison, one of the founders of Stripe, interviewed Charlie Munger on mm. the Invest Like the Best podcast feed. And it was an incredible, incredible interview. And I want to read one thing. This is part of their conversation about crypto. And John Collison, it seems like is, not it seems like, he's, he's bullish on crypto. Obviously, Munger was not. What he said I thought was funny and very wise. And it's not even specific to crypto. Uh, so John Collison said, uh, it's not really a new currency. It's a new store of wealth. Charlie said, you can call it a store of wealth. I call it a store of delusion. That part made me laugh. But here's the part that I thought was, was very wise. Not, not specific to crypto. He said, I don't think it's good to participate in a delusion even when it gets quite common. Mm. And that lesson is a very, very, very hard one to learn. And it's one that you can only learn. Unless it turns out it wasn't a delusion. It's the only lesson that you learn like over decades of investing. Yeah. I, I go back and forth on this because Berkshire, like they admit they missed Amazon. They should have bought it. And at the time, Amazon looked like a delusion. It was a company losing tons of money, telling Wall Street, we're probably not going to make money for a long time. And the stock price went up and up and up. And if you're an old school investor focused on cash flows, you probably look at that as a delusion. Tesla looked like a delusion. Until it's not a delusion. A lot of things do. It's harder than it's harder than a it's not it's not black or white. I just thought it was a great quote. Yeah. Shout to uh, an amazing episode. Shout to Patrick O'Shaughnessy. All right. I have I have a bunch, but I'll do them quickly. The time person of the year cover story on Taylor Swift is great. So the writer followed her around during the course of the Eras tour and checked in with her throughout the course of the year. It's a really well done. It explains um, how, for the first time in a long time, the world had a main character. Mm-hmm. She was the main character this year. What's the, the whole, when's the last time? Probably something political like Trump. Oh, I thought they named yeah. okay. It's usually something political. It's usually yeah. not a pop star. It's, it's like very rare. And they reference like Michael Jackson and stuff. But like this year, she was the main character. It's not that she was the most important thing. She was the the common language we all had. Hey, did you see that thing about how the concert sold out in town or whatever? She was an economic event everywhere she went. Uh, the tour obviously is record setting. Probably nobody will ever do what she just did, uh, or at least not for a very long time. So I thought it was, it was a, a good article worth reading. Um, I also wanted to mention the blog era, which is uh, a podcast series about a very specific era in hip hop. I know I don't have any rap fans in the room. Uh, so well done. It's by It's the Real, and it's just a document. A document, basically. I think it's ten episodes. They got all of the people, almost like an oral history, but it's this really specific era that really mirrors finance. Hmm. So from two thousand eight, let's two thousand seven, till maybe two thousand thirteen, blogs were the tastemakers in rap. They replaced the magazines. They replaced the radio stations. They decided who would be a star. If you think about who they broke, from Kanye to Kendrick Lamar to pretty much uh, uh, J. Cole, Drake, 
Nicki, all the biggest hip hop stars now were broken by blogs. Like that's how we discovered these people. And it was really well done. And I have a bunch of friends who were interviewed for it. So uh, that's what made me listen to it at first. But I think people will be into it. Uh, last one, uh, Noah Khan. Noah Khan fan? No? Okay. Uh, it was on Saturday Night Live last week. He has one of the biggest albums of 2023. Hmm. It came out in 2022, though. It's called Stick Season. You're a northerner. You know yep. what Stick Season is? No. Okay. So he's in Vermont. Okay. Stick Season is that period of time where after the foliage is gone, which is why everyone goes to Vermont, yeah. but before everything's covered in white, yeah. you got like a two or three week period where everything is brown and sticks. Okay. Uh, all right. Anyway, that's the record. He was on SNL last week. He's like selling out Radio City now. He's a huge up and coming star. Great album. It was nice to see this thing have legs and be popular for like two years now. And it seems like it's getting more popular. So I thought that was kind of a cool story. All right, that's all I have for this week. We want to thank John, Duncan, Nicole, Sean, Daniel. The list is getting long, right? Rob is here. You guys are awesome all week. Thank you so much. Our special guest, Brian Belsky. Tell us where we could fi find you on X. You are Brian at Brian G. Belsky. That's, that's right. Okay. And you're... <laughs> And on LinkedIn, that's it. That's the only social media, LinkedIn right. and X. That's Brian it. G. Belsky. Dude, you crushed it this year. Oh, my year. gosh, thank you. Amazing, amazing prescience to see what a lot of people couldn't see. Almost everybody was bearish. You were bullish. And it looks like we're about to close right at your target. You're going to walk on water on the way out of here. That's all, that's all I could say. Float on out here. All thank right. you so much for having Dude, us. Dude, thanks for sharing right, your man. time and thank your expertise you. with us. We appreciate it. All right, Compound and Friends, we are out. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. <laughs>